Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, produced by Foundersuite.com. Then I have Andre Serban of FuzzBuzz coming to us from Mountain View. How's your day going? Good, good, good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Mountain View pretty much has perfect weather all year round, but uh, you guys having a nice, nice day so far we, leading into the weekend? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't been uh, outside very much recently, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty good weather. Um, now, you're, are you originally from Waterloo? I think I saw something on the, the, the history there. Is that where you're from? Yep, yep, yep. We're all from... Uh, well, two of us are based, uh, we were kind of from Waterloo, Mississauga, Toronto, around there. Um, our third co-founder of us is actually from Singapore, but he's Canadian too. It, it all kind of goes around, yeah. <laughs> you have your Canadian mafia though. I mean, there's a lot of Canadians here in Silicon Valley, aren't there? I feel like I meet a fair number. Is, is there sort of like a network, you know, below the network or above the network? Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of uh, Waterloo students definitely come down here, um, you know, for co-ops and then, you know, once they graduate, uh, probably U of T and UBC students a lot as well. So I think it's, you know, it's pretty preferred to come down here for uh, software jobs. So. <laughs> yeah. That's U University of Toronto. And then what's the other one? U of B? What's that? Uh, UBC, uh, British Columbia. Oh, okay. Sure, in Vancouver. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, great. Let's just get into it. What is FuzzBuzz? What do you guys do? Cool. Yeah. So a little bit niche here. Uh, we're, we do fuzzing as a service. Um, Basically, fuzzing is just a type of automated software testing um, that basically helps developers find uh, bugs and vulnerabilities that, you know, that they'd otherwise miss. Um, and so the way it works is it kind of, what it does is it inserts semi-random data, um, you know, or inputs into your program um, to try and kind of cause weird things to happen. So, you know, I say semi-random because it's actually quite smart in the way it generates it. It's not completely just like random, you know, one, five, three, A, B, C, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. What it does is, you know, it sees how an, you know, an input behaves in your program, uh, kind of monitors code coverage, and then it feeds that back into the fuzzer. So it kind of creates like a feedback loop, right? Uh, and then what that does is, you know, the fuzzer sees that, you know, this input triggered this specific code path. Um, so what if I modify this part of the input to try and, you know, either get a different code path or to go, you know, explore kind of existing paths a little bit deeper. Um, and so what ends up happening is the longer you, the longer you let this thing run on your code, the more, you know, the more context it gets on your application, which in turn causes it to get, you know, more complex inputs that end up going deeper into your code, kind of testing it more rigorously. Um, so it's, it's mostly a like QA or like a security type of tool, um, but it's pretty hands off in that developer just has to set it up and then they can just let it run 24-7 um, in the cloud. Um, yeah, like a simple example of like, I guess what it would be is kind of like if you take a program that has, uh, you know, it just takes like an input of like one, two, or three. Um, you know, what happens if you give it four or, you know, 255 or some weird kind of input? Um, if they're not handled correctly, then you, you, your program will crash or you'll get like a memory bug, uh, which you can then exploit either through like a, like a DDoS or like a memory leak or something like that. Um, a more complex example is like if you remember uh, Heartbleed, uh, from, you know, a few years ago, which I think it was like, the reports say that it was like $500 million of damages worldwide and so on. Um, the bug existed in OpenSSL for about two years. Um, and then mm. someone only found it because they were just reading the code, right? 
Um, if they had been fuzzing, actually, they would have found it in about 10 seconds. And then, you know, the whole thing could have been avoided. Okay, that makes sense. And so is this something um, that, like, for Founder Suite, we would just set this loose on our code? And what's the output or report we would get? It would sort of, you know, what would I be, what would my engineers be actually getting? Yeah, yeah. So the idea is it, it's like very minimal setup. Um, it's like four lines of code and then like a config, uh, uh, like a config script. And then you just, uh, you know, push to GitHub and then we handle the rest. So we'll pull your code from GitHub. We'll compile it and run it on our servers. Um, and then from there, uh, we'll just start fuzzing it. And then if a bug gets detected, um, we'll report it to the, to, to the developer, like on the platform. Uh, we'll show you the stack trace, the type of bug that it was. Um, and then we'll give you like a CLI, which lets you kind of play with it locally and like make sure you fix it before you push your changes back up. Uh, we'll pick that up, make sure it's like market is fixed and do like, so there's a whole like ecosystem that we kind of, uh, like the life cycle is pretty straightforward. Um, and then we do a lot of tooling around like making sure there's, you know, minimal false positives. Uh, we'll try to report like the smallest example of that bug. Like sometimes you'll have a bug like up here in your code that like, shows up in multiple spots. And so we'll try to detect that and just let you know that, you know, this is the, the bug that you want to fix and you don't need to worry about these other four or five um, that you get with, you know, other, other fuzzy tools. Gotcha. Interesting. And where did you guys come up with this? Uh, what's the backstory? Yeah. So uh, my co-founder Everest actually uh, worked at Google on the uh, Chrome fuzzing team. Uh, they have this, uh, th their tool is called cluster fuzz um, is recently open source. Um, and they use it internally at Google to basically test Chrome. I think it's the largest, let's say one of the largest, uh, fuzzing operations in the world. They're, you know, constantly fuzzing Chrome on like 25,000 VMs. Um, and they, they find like 80% of their bugs, uh, with fuzzing. Uh, so, you know, 80% with fuzzing, 10% with unit tests, and then 10% just out in the wild from, uh, users. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so they they love, they love, uh, fuzzing. And so that's kind of where he got the idea. Um, he saw how they did it. Um, he saw the problems that they had as well with like different ways that they built it. Uh, then he went to Coinbase, basically set it up for Coinbase internally. Um, and that's kind of where, where it clicked for us. We realized, you know, if Google does it for Chrome and then they also have like an open source offering that they do. Um, and then Coinbase needs it. But the, the problem with Coinbase was like, they, they hired him as a security engineer. And as soon as they found out that he had fuzzing experience, that's when they got him to do it. So basically there was not enough people that knew how to do it, despite the fact that like everyone kind of needs some sort of fuzzing solution or wants to have it. You know, most, most security teams will want something like this. Um, and so we set out to build it and offer it as a service basically to sort of democratize it. I think like, you know, Google, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, these guys have their own internal infrastructure and all that. Um, but most, most, most companies can't afford to have like one whole engineer dedicated to running this thing. Um, so that's kind of where we, uh, where we, we come. Yeah, no, cool. When did you launch? How long have you been around? And is it a, a crowded space? Are there multiple companies offering this or you, I haven't heard of this before, so I'm it, curious. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's pretty niche. I think most, even like people like, you know, developers tend to not know about it. Um, yes, yeah, so we start, we started doing this in uh, September, uh, in 2018. So just like a few months ago, um, we got into YC, uh, in January. Uh, so we did, we did, we did that batch and we launched uh, near the end. So February, uh, late February. And then, uh, from there we got a lot of, uh, interesting traction. Uh, we got some nice open source projects. So we kind of, we, we allow open source projects to fuzz for free and then, you know, just to give back to the community and such. Um, but then we also have like a paid plan. Um, we're currently piloting with like uh, three or four kind of larger companies um, uh, that we're kind of just focusing on. I think 
you know, like I said, that like sweet spot is like those companies that are still somewhat startup-y, but they're starting to think about their security. Mm -hmm. um, they probably have a security team, but it's not large enough to support, uh, you know, having someone fully dedicated to that. Um, yeah, so I guess we launched in that late February. So that makes it two months now. Um, yes. yeah. yeah, you're brand new, right? Right <laughs> out of the nest. That's yeah, great. yeah. And uh, you mentioned, I guess, uh, com competition. There's not, there's not a whole lot. Um, there's a lot of fuzzing tools out there that don't quite do fuzzing. Uh, they say they do fuzzing, but they kind of just throw like a preset number of strings at your code and see if anything breaks there. Mm -hmm. um, we, we try to, we try to like actually find new things in your code. So not just scanning for, you know, existing or known vulnerabilities. We're trying to find new things. Um, the, the, the only, like, I guess the big, the big competitor out there is uh, Microsoft has a thing, um, security research, uh, detection, I think MSRD. Um, they've got, they've got something like that, but they're, uh, they're in closed beta. Uh, they've been in closed beta for a while now and, uh, I think they're very research heavy. So I don't know, I don't know what their plans are, but. Um, yeah, that's basically it for competition. <laughs> yeah, no, cool. Really interesting. And pricing, I guess you're still pretty new, but do you have a pricing model? How's it, how's it priced? Yeah. So we've got, um, we're, we're still figuring things out, obviously, but, uh, excuse me, but, uh, we, we really want to give it away for free, um, at the kind of base level. Uh, we want our, our, we, you know, our hypothesis is that basically everyone should be, or could be fuzzing. Um, and so we want to kind of just let everyone fuzz if they want to. Um, so yeah, so we give one CPU for free away. You, you um, know how, how ridiculous this conversation would sound yeah. if you didn't hear sort of the build up to it. Yeah. 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 Keep going. Of course. <laughs> yeah. We, we get that a lot. We get that a lot. Um, fuzzing sounds, yeah, it's funny, I guess. Um, it's good though. I like yeah. it. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, so we got the free plan, which kind of just gives you access to the core platform, lets you fuzz for free forever. Um, you can just get started. Uh, then we got like a team plan, which, you know, gives you more data retention gives you integration with Slack. So you can get pinged when you find the bug. Um, and that's a hundred dollars a month. It gives you three CPUs. Um, and then, you know, you can buy more CPUs on each plan. So like, you know, uh, fuzzing scales linearly with how much CPU you throw at it. So okay. that's kind of mm -hmm. why we price with that. So, you know, a very simple application might only take one CPU. So like maybe something that just parses text, it just, you know, looks for a certain string or something. Uh, one CPU could give you like thousands of tests per second. Um, whereas if you're running like an image recognition library, you probably need like four CPU or something. So, you know, you're parsing images. It's a lot more complex. Um, but yeah. Cool. Congrats. So let's talk about raising money. How much you guys raised and over how many rounds? Yeah. So we just finished our seed round um, in, uh, I think like, I think we announced it early April. It was like first week or so of April. Um, it was, yeah, so it was just a seed round. Uh, we kind of, we, so we started, we, we had a lot of luck, I think, uh, with our raise. Um, we're first time founders. We're actually, we're dropping out of, we dropped out of university for this. Um, oh, so cool. yeah, it wasn't the plan, I think. Um, but, you know, we got into Y Combinator and I think we realized like there's a lot more potential than we initially thought. And so, you know, we got a lot more serious about it. Um, but yeah, uh, near, near the end of YC, we were kind of like, we were a little worried because uh, we were pre-revenue at the time, and uh, yeah, we didn't we didn't know how how it would go, um, and you know we hadn't had any experience with raising or anything like that. Um, so we we started we actually we we've gotten a bunch of investor emails from beforehand, probably around like once we started launching, uh, once we launched that kind of generated a little bit of buzz. Um, so you know we started meeting with investors um, mid March, uh, and then we closed it out 
So it only, our raise actually was really quick. It only took us three weeks um, to, from start to finish. Um, I think we've got our lead investor, uh, Chris from Fuel, to thank for that. Uh, I think through back channeling and just talking to a bunch of investors, I think he, he probably filled out half of our round, just like not himself personally, but like intros to investors and just, again, back channeling and stuff. Um, but and how yeah, did you get so, him or how did he, so let's rewind a little bit. I mean, sure, you guys yeah. got it, you know, you had this idea, you're working on this and you apply to YC, you get into YC, Y Combinator. And then um, did you meet Chris at demo day or, you know, what's the sort of more granular uh, lead up to this? Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah. So Chris reached out to us once we launched on Hacker News mm. um, and funny story. We actually, I, uh, we ignored him the first time he reached out because we're like, oh, another investor, like, go away. We, we, at that point, we were trying to get, like, um, as much sales as we could, right? So we were getting, like, uh, customer inquiries. And so we didn't really want to talk to investors at the time. Uh, this was, like, you know, two, three weeks before Demo Day. Um, uh, then we had another investor intro us to Chris. And so he, he really pushed for it. I think he looked into it a lot, um, uh, kind of on his own. Uh, we met with him about a week before Demo Day. So we started, we started fundraising a week before Demo Day. We, had, we were told... To, to do that, like from most previous YC alumni, they said, um, you know, it's probably a good idea to start raising uh, beforehand. Um, and so, yeah, so we met with Chris and then, you know, we had one, one meeting with him. I think he was already pretty set on uh, investing. And so he gave us an offer uh, at the end of the meeting. Um, and then, you know, he immediately started being helpful. I think like we didn't take the offer until like a week later, but mm. he was already like talking to other investors about us and like, uh, we, we actually, I, I noticed, uh, an influx in, uh, investors reaching out to us, but I didn't really put two and two together until after he mentioned that, you know, oh yeah, I, I told them about you and I told them, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, that's nice to see that sort of hustle from an investor, you know, even before like the deal's done or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah that's great. That's great. And did he bring in, I see homebrew and susa are, are some other names on the round did uh how those guys come together into the into the round yeah so we raised uh so in total we raised 2.7 million um it's kind of a funny story there we initially set out to raise 1.5 um but uh i think like i'm not entirely sure now i think actually yes uh homebrew and susa both reached out to chris yes yeah uh and then chris reached out to us and asked if we wanted to be intro and then did the intros and then uh uh, those, you know, those went pretty well as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Mo mo most of our investors, a lot of our investors are actually interested from Chris. So, uh, you know, super appreciate um, how much uh, he's done. I think he just really believes in it. Um, he, you know, he invested in Mesosphere and CoreOS early on as well. So I think he sees the, he sees the potential in like a, like a good dev tool that helps uh, with security. But, mm -hmm. Let's talk about Demo Day a little bit. You, you mentioned, you know, you were counseled to kind of start fundraising just a week before Demo Day. Is that sort of the, the strategy if people are in other accelerator programs or YC, you know, that might be listening to this? Like, maybe the question is, you know, do you start fundraising the day you get into YC or do you start doing a week before Demo Day? Or I've even heard some people kind of wait till after Demo Day. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so... I'm still not entirely sure the best way to go about it. I, I, I do think that starting earlier is better, but not super early. So, okay. So I guess for context, we, so, you know, YC last, it was from January, uh, I think third until March uh, 18th was our demo day. Um, 
so we spent the first, you know, Jan all of January, all of February, um, and the first week of March just building uh, Fuzzbuzz and talking to customers. Um, we were told to do that, and I think that was a smart choice. Um, we had no, no, we would not have had a product if we started raising, and I don't think we would have had any success trying to raise beforehand either, just because we had like nothing. Yeah. Um, however, I think like I think what happens is at demo day you just get. Uh, so many investors um, that it's hard to maybe set yourself apart. Um, and so if you do have investors reaching out to you, I think like a week, two weeks before, you know, your demo day or your pitch or whatever, I think it might, it's probably a good idea to start taking those calls, even if nothing comes out of them, just to get a sense of how, uh, how investors work and, you know, what the discussions feel like and look like, because once demo day comes around or pitch day or whatever, um, you're going to have a, a ton of interest that, you know, you might not know what to do with. And that's kind of when you don't want to screw up. Um, mm. That's that's certainly what happened to us. Like we took, um, I think, you know, 10, 15 meetings before demo day. And then on demo day, I think we had like probably like 30 investors just like talk to us, um, a bunch more like email us. Uh, like demo day is a very hectic. I think um, we were very lucky to have uh, to have something like that. I think that's one of the strong, strong points of YC is just their their ability to kind of, have this one day of like investors and founders and just yeah. <laughs> like watching each other, you know? And then um, I think, you know, after that it kind of slows down. So I think the best time is to try and get onto that hype earlier on, um, you know, cause yeah. after that it, it dies out. Right. So, so your pitch is really strong. So, I mean like the 30, 30 or so you talked to on day of, how does that work? Is it, are there, are they, uh little conference rooms or offices you can go have like a little two minute speed dating or, you know, how do you process 30 <laughs> investors? It's, it's a lot. So they weren't, they definitely weren't serious talks. It was more like, Hey, I'm interested. Here's my email. Let's talk after. Um, right. But YC this year was the batch was really big. Um, so they did it in SF uh, at like one of the peers and like they rented out like a warehouse and they put like, they had like two stages running uh, separated by curtains and then, you know, it's just a big warehouse otherwise. And like, there was a little bit of room outside. And so there's just like a huge crowd of investors and founders just constantly mingling. So there's no, there's no conference room, but I think it's actually better this way. Right. Cause uh, what'll happen is maybe you'll see an investor or you'll see a founder that, you know, you didn't want to talk to before, or you were looking for, you can, you just see them cause they're standing over there talking to someone else. Um, I think that that atmosphere also helped a lot. Like just being able to like, hey, how are you doing? And just quickly just walk over to someone and, you know, talk to them. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's, I think, invest, so Demo Day is more, and NYC tells you this as well, they don't, don't try to raise any money on Demo Day, just get as many leads as you can and like follow up later, right? Um, uh, there's no way you can, you know, talk to someone, it's, it's loud, it's, yeah. they have tons of other companies they want to talk to, so. Yeah. Um, do they, just, like, I haven't been, obviously, but my question's to a, a YC Demo Day, but do they... Do the investors have a big giant badge on that say investor or, you know, a hat, a special conical hat or sure. something that points them out as investors or, or what's it, what's, what's it work? How's it work? Yeah. So to, um, uh, when you, when you sign in in the morning, uh, you get a badge. Uh, so if you're a founder, it's like yellow, uh, YC, uh, employees get orange badge and then all the investors get green. So it's really easy to spot them because it's just this big green badge on their chest. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah, logical. I've been to other conferences where they do have similar badge things. And you'll see the investors like either turn the badge around or they'll tuck them in their jacket. 
otherwise they're just like mobbed, right? But I'm it's sure warm, it, yeah, yeah. at the YC demo day, it's probably more of a better balance of uh, of power, market market and uh, supply and demand, right? Um, cool. What what uh, what would you say is your other one or two top fundraising takeaways that you learned from YC that maybe you could share? From YC specifically or just in general? Uh, you know, I would say either. Yeah. I mean, if you've picked up some other great tactics or strategies that you've, you know, you raised around pretty quick and it sounds like you've got, you know, at least partly lucky there or very, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to say it's luck, right? That's not true. But I mean, you're in the right time, the right place with a good product and on Hacker News, that's not luck. That's, you know, um, but, but what else have you kind of picked up along the way that's been useful? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, like one, one thing that we quickly learned was how much investors talk to each other. Um, mm. yeah, the kind of behind the scenes that, so again, this is our first time raising like, you know, a year ago we were still in school, so we had no idea about how any of this works. Um, but, uh, I think what happened was like, we would, you know, Chris and all of our other investors would kind of like tell us like, Oh, watch out for this guy or whatever. Um, like watch out for this guy. Like he's going to make an offer or something. But what ended up, what we ended up realizing was like, we, all of our investors knew who else we were meeting with um, like that week, um, which was interesting. We also had some investors tell us like, Oh, did X and Y like, Oh, I heard X, Y, and Z like made you an offer for this much. And I was like, I know. And then, you know, two days later they did. So it's, it's really interesting. Oh, like they actually know before us sometimes. <laughs> so I think just, you know, being careful on like what you say and, um, uh, how, I guess, what kind of information you give, um, I guess expect every investor to kind of know it. Um, yeah. yeah. And then I think, so that's kind of like that. Uh, but another, another, I think the most, the most important thing, that we picked up was actually from Sean uh, from Outlier Outliers AI Outlier mm -hmm. AI. Yeah, uh, he was on he was on here a few weeks ago. Um, uh, we talked to him when we were kind of doing. Uh, we were like, so at the end of our raise, uh, we were at two million. We were around two million uh, raise, and then um, we actually got two offers from, actually from Homebrew and Susa at the same time, and we weren't entirely sure uh, which one to take because we were trying to raise around two million. Um, and so we kind of asked for like references from both of them to kind of get a sense of like from their founders, what, what they, what they thought of each one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the last conversation I had was actually with Sean from outlier, uh, who happened to have both of them as investors. Mm. And, um, he asked us like, you know, what, what terms are you raising on? And he kind of looked into it and he's like, just take both and stop worrying about it. Um, Hmm. And, and so I guess like the, the reasoning behind it or like kind of to go more in depth than what, what he means is um, he basically, he just stressed like, don't over optimize your seed round. Um, take as much money as you can get. If you like, if it's there um, at this point in time, um, obviously don't go nuts, but we were kind of, we were definitely over optimizing. We were trying to keep, you know um, how much equity we were giving away kind of low. And so what ended up happening was uh, we were like literally making these, uh, we were trying to make these decisions based on like one or 2%, which, you know, it, the way he put it was, would you trade 2% of your equity for, uh, a, you know, an investor that could potentially uh, make a significant difference um, in your company? And then fr framing it like that really helped us uh, kind of picture, picture it differently. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the other thing he mentioned, which I think was really, uh, really insightful was um, just telling us that, you know, 
whether you, if you raise a kind of small seed now, then when you go to raise your series A, which is gonna come a lot quicker, um, you're gonna probably have less leverage. Um, so you're gonna be raising on investor terms. So, you know, say like you only give away 15% equity for your seed round. When you go to raise your series A in like a year, a year and a half, um, because you, you didn't raise enough, um, you know, that series A might be 25, 30%. Um, uh, versus if you just started now, you know, take maybe like 20, 25% seed round, when you go to raise your series A in like a year or two, no, sorry, like two years, maybe two and a half years, you have more leverage. And so you can actually bring that 25, 30 down to like 2025, right? And so you end up in the same spot um, in terms of equity given away. It's just that you have more, you know, more runway to start with. And that kind of gives you more options to actually hit that series A. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think that was, that was, that, that made us realize like, you know, why, why are we actually trying to optimize from home brewers who said we just ended up taking both? And, you know, we were, we're super happy with that decision. I think uh, both of them and, you know, all of our investors have been super helpful so far. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's only been a month, but I, I don't expect any problems. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So did you, you had interest from both homebrew and SUSE and Chris, who's uh, with uh, Fuel Capital, right? Yeah. Um, was already kind of got himself, got his foot in the door. So how did you, did, did all those three firms want to lead? And it sounds like you raised the amount, total amount you're raising from two to three something. Um, you know, how did you break up? Like who's leading, who's following? Did you give everyone a, an equal piece of the pie or what? Yeah. Um, I think, I think, uh, I think definitely Sousa and Homebrew and Fuel all usually like to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, so at the point, like at that point, we were kind of near the end of our raise and it was clear that uh, Fuel was going to be the lead. Um, and I think they were kind of, I think they were okay to kind of uh, be like, it's like, so for us, we don't, we don't really, we don't try to differentiate like, oh, this is our lead investor and then these guys, they're, they're worth less or something. Like we talk to actually, we have a lot of angels who have like almost, you know, very little, right. Um, we talk to a ton um, yeah. and they've been super helpful just cause they have more like context maybe, or like knowledge, like um, hands-on knowledge or something like that. Um, so, so for us, it doesn't make any difference. I, I, I talk to all three, or I try to talk to all three equally. Um, but I think, yeah, I think when they, they kind of noticed that Chris was leading and they said they were willing to take a little bit of more, more backseat on this. Um, I think, I think Chris is usually a good signal. Um, like Chris investing in your company is a good signal. So I think they were just following on that. Um, but that, that's just my thoughts. I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to. Well, I mean, these things matter later down the road when you have a big exit right. or then it's the bragging rights of we led their seed round, right? And yeah. terminal, and it's kind of like, are you a co-founder or are you founding team or are you, right? Like, these things don't matter in the early days. They matter bragging rights when the company is successful down the road. So I was just curious if you had to carve out, you know, titles or sort of balance. I mean, it's a good position to be be in, have three attractive firms that you want to all get in. Um, okay. I, I think they've all got very sizable kind of similar uh, uh, amounts as well. Yeah. So I think that helps a little bit too. Did you, do you, have a, did you have to form a board? Did you create a board? Uh, no, not not for seed. I think um, we we didn't form an official board. But one thing that we that we kind of wanted to do, um, and the idea came out of came from uh, Satya at Homebrew, was to do like uh, monthly syncs or like you know every six weeks or something, just sync up and sort of like a board meeting. Um, 
and so that was that was kind of Satya's idea, and I I really like that idea. Um, like I said, we're pretty uh, pretty new to this whole thing, so we like as much advice as we can possibly get. Um, you know, especially from people who are way more experienced than us or people who've done this before. Um, so yeah, so we didn't form an official board, but we do meet up um, you know every month uh, with kind of so with uh, Fuel Susan uh, Homebrew um, to just kind of discuss what happened in the past month. Um, you know any questions we have like going forward, you know, on top of like the investor updates that we do. And, you know, like we talk to all of our investors, like you know, we text them or email or whatever, but um, I think this really helps us, you know, kind of go the extra step and like holding us accountable. Um, and, you know, preparing us for board meetings, I think uh, probably yeah. once we go to series A, I imagine that's going to become a lot more formal. So, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, very good. Well, I'm, I'm sure, uh, raising the round probably put your parents minds at ease a little bit that you had dropped out of college and you know gone off to do this wild startup thing right <laughs> um yeah I, so <laughs> sort of <laughs> they're like they're 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 pretty traditional i think like they um when we uh, i think like i when we first started the company i'm like uh you know oh if we raise this much money or if we do this much in sales then you'd be okay with me dropping out. Right. And they'd be like, no, like you need to do your school. And, uh, but I think, I think they slowly realized that like, Oh, okay, hold on. Like this is kind of legit. Um, it's like <laughs> pretty decent reason to, 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 I guess to drop out for, um, so they're a little bit more okay with it now. I think they secretly want me to go back to university, uh, probably after all of this is done, but I don't know how realistic that is. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I would love to go back and take some college <laughs> classes again. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's a special time in life. Like I'd love to do that. <laughs> so, um, well, really good. All right. Well, you probably, you, the ink is barely dry on this latest round. Are you already starting to think about next round yet? Are you taking any steps to kind of prepare for that or, or just focused on product and customers? Yeah. I I don't know. I think so. I think so. Our burn rate's really low, um, and we 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 like it that way. Um, and so I think you know, low burn rate coupled with our pretty—I mean, like two point seven million dollars—at least for us is a large chunk of money for, like I said, compared to our burn. So I think I think like if we rate the no, sorry when we raise our Series A, it'll probably be in like two years, maybe mm. two and a half years. So we you know we did that intentionally. I think we want to just make sure that we have as much runway as we can uh, to just play around with things before, you know, once series A comes around, things get a little bit more serious. You, you know, you need product market fit and you need all that. So we, you know, extended our runway on purpose. Um, uh, so, yeah, so we're trying to, you know, we're going to probably hire like one or two kind of developers um, just to be able to move a little bit quicker. But I think that's probably where we'll stop uh, at least for this year. Um, just like I said, keep burn rate low and, um, make sure that we just, you know, hit product market fit, um, just, you know, iterating on product and talking to customers and stuff. And I think we're on a good, I think we're on a, we're on the right track so far. Um, just, uh, I think the, the other big thing that we need right now is our visas, um, yep. you know, to come back here. So, uh, kind of there's, there's a lot of stuff like in limbo, but I think, yeah, in about two years, uh, probably raise our series a, I you know, hope to have, uh, I'm sure we'll get to product market fit by then. Um, and then, yeah, go from there. Different question, total tangent, but sure. any thoughts in, of facing the company in Waterloo? I mean, Toronto and, and Canada is pretty, it seems like a pretty 
great place to build a company. Things are cheaper, talent's cheaper. You know, you've been here in Silicon Valley for a little while now. What are your sort of thoughts on that? Kind of Silicon Valley versus, you know, <laughs> Toronto or Waterloo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we've thought about this quite a bit. Um, and I, I think, so what ends up happening is we want to be closer to kind of everyone else. Um, you know, all of our customers are in the Bay Area. All the kind of, so there, there's a few things at play, right? So one is our customers, they will have, at the start will be very technical companies um, because they just get it a lot yeah. faster. Uh, so it's easier to sell to them and, you know, it makes more sense um, to do that. Uh, Canada is kind of, you know, behind the curve a little bit when it comes to uh, tech, especially with security. I think they're still ramping up. So, you know, for example, like we, we tried uh, when we, you know, we started in September, we were in Canada, we were out of an incubator um, in water velocity. And uh, we, we, we talked to quite a few companies and a lot of them were not interested or, you know, talked to us in like a few months or something like that. Uh, as soon as we came here, we like the, the response like instantly changed. Um, the response went from like, talk to us later to like, wait, what is this thing? Or uh, can I try it out or something like that? Um, and so, you know, just by that alone, I think we figured like, you know, all of our customers will most likely be in the US at least to start or, you know, the first, you know, five or 10 or something. Um, so that's kind of one. Um, but then two, like the types of developers that you get um, in the Bay Area, you, you can find more niche kind of uh, people with like more niche skill set. So, you know, mm. I, our ideal engineer has fuzzing experience. Um, they're, they're a Go developer. Um, probably not going to find any of those, at least early on. There's just a handful of those, I think, like in the world. Um, but, uh, you know, having, having like a Go developer, finding a Go developer with like maybe like some low level compiler experience is, is a lot harder to do in Waterloo than mm. uh, in the Bay Area. So I think... So I think that's kind of our, our limitation there. Um, yeah. You know, we cert certainly like uh, it would extend our runway significantly because 2.7 million US is uh, like 3.6 CAD. So, and that, and then again, salaries are lower. So, you know, <laughs> that would probably give us at least like three or four years even. Right. Um, I, I just, I'm, I think we still have to play around with, uh, play around with it and see uh, if it's possible doing that. Um, thought of like satellite offices and, there's a lot of different ways that you can frame it, but I think ultimately uh, the barrier is where everything's happening. So I think we want to stay around here for now. Yeah. Cool. All right, Andre, this is great. If people want to learn more, it's fuzzbuzz.io, correct? Yep. Great. Who's got the .com? Someone squatting on that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We, we reached out to him and he's like, I've got something in the works. And, you know, we went on like the Wayback Machine archive thing and, it's been the same website for the past like five, six, seven years. So I don't know what he's doing. Maybe, maybe we'll reach out to him again now that we've raised some money and see uh, if he's willing to give it up. <laughs> That's always tricky though, right? If he knows yeah. you have money, then the well, price. Exactly. Exactly. So hopefully he doesn't listen to this podcast. Although it's <laughs> I'll make sure um, not to send it. Yeah. yeah, right. All right. Very good. Well, thanks so much for your time. This is interesting and we'll catch you after your next round. In like for sure. Thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks so much, Nathan. Have a good one. Cheers.